0: Chapter Three of Our Little Spanish Cousin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jill Ingle. Our Little Spanish Cousin by Mary F. Nixon Roulette. Chapter Three A Visit to a Hacienda one day in october when the sun was shining in golden beauty the signora said to her husband i should like to go to the hacienda to-morrow and take the children with me for la niña has never seen the picking and fernando did not go last year or the year before it will give me pleasure to escort you said the Señor de guzman in the courtly manner which spanish gentlemen used toward their wives at what hour will it please you to start as early as you can she answered So that we may arrive there in plenty of time to see the picking before luncheon, and after a siesta drive back in the pleasant part of the afternoon. We shall start at nine, then," said her husband, and should arrive there by ten or a little after. When Fernando returned from school and heard that he was to accompany his mother next day, he was nearly beside himself with joy. Juanita, he cried, you have no idea how delightful it is at the fruit farm, I have not been there for two years, but I remember it well—all the oranges one can eat and such raisins. You will much enjoy it, I am sure." He was up bright and early next day, and impatient to start long before his mother was ready, and even his father was waiting before the Signora made her appearance. She was a large woman, and very slow and graceful in her movements. No one had ever seen her hurried and every one expected to wait for her, so that it was nearly half-past nine when they started. The coachman whipped up the horses, and away they went, skimming over the rough stones. Fernando sat with Diego and Manuel on the front seat of the carriage, while Dolores sat beside the senora, holding Juanita on her lap. The senor rode upon his high-stepping Andalusian horse beside the carriage, and pointed out places of interest to the children as they drove along. A gay young officer passed by them, young and slim, riding a handsome horse, and some soldiers were maneuvering on the plaza. One poor fellow, once a gay soldier, but now with an empty sleeve, dressed in a faded army blouse and wearing a merit medal, was begging in the street, and the senor stopped to give him a piece of silver, for Spaniards are always generous and pitiful, and cannot resist a beggar. He had served in Cuba, said the Señor to his wife, and she sighed as she thought of the many lost to Spain and their dear ones in that useless war. Fruit-vendors passed along the street, and donkeys so laden with fruit and flowers that almost nothing of them could be seen but their slim little legs and their great waving ears. Water-carriers were there, carrying huge jars which looked like those used by the old moors, and a travelling merchant in grey garments, but with brightly dressed mules. It was not so bright a party that they passed later, for a peasant funeral passed by on its way to the cemetery. Four young men carried the bier, upon which was the body of a child, covered all but its face, which lay exposed to the sun. "'Take your hat off, son,' said the Signora. "'Always do so to a passing funeral,' for maybe yours will be the last salute the dead will receive on earth. No sooner was the funeral past than there came a straw and charcoal merchant crying, Paja! carbón, Caprito! So many people in Granada have no way to warm themselves, except by the bracero, in which charcoal is burnt, that there is great need for the charcoal man, and he drives a brisk trade. Next they saw a priest on a sick coal, For he bore the blessed sacrament. A crowd of ragged urchins stopped in their play to kneel as he passed, and Fernando and his father raised their hats. By this time the carriage had reached the outskirts of the city, and the road wound along the banks of the Darro, a rushing stream which gushes out of a deep mountain gorge and passes through the town. Its banks are lined with quaint old houses, leaning far over the river and Fernando saw women there washing their linen in the water and spreading their clothes on the stones to dry. Outside of the town their way lay along the beautiful Vega, which stretches beyond Granada, in green and fertile loveliness to the far-away hills. Crossed by two rivers, the Darro and the Genil, the plain is dotted with whitewashed villas, nestling like birds in the soft green of the olive and orange trees. Sloping gradually to the mountains above, the Vega is green as emerald, and truly a fair sight beneath the turquoise sky and the mother-of-pearl of of the snowy mountains. Fernando's father owned large estates upon the hillside, and raised oranges and grapes. The last were used for raisins, the grapes from which the finest wine is made, the Amontillado, for which Spain is so famous, not reaching their greatest perfection in this part of the land. In an hour they reached the farm, and drove down the long lane which led to the house. The hacienda of Santa Eulalia was a large, low building, with a broad porch and a tangle of vines and roses climbing over it. Huge trees spread their arms over the roof, and from the balcony one could see the groves of cypress trees, pines, oaks, and poplars beyond the fruit trees, and above all the rose-colored peaks of the sierras upon the slope of the hill as it fell away toward granada were the grapevines with huge clusters of grapes purple white and red weighing down the vines there were too terraces where the raisins dried and nearer the house were the drying sheds where an army of packers pressed the raisins under boards and carefully sorted them before packing the vineyards were beautiful but even more so were the orange groves and one who has seen a grove in full fruit never forgets the beautiful sight. The trees are deep green in color, and full of leaves, many of them bearing at the same time flowers and green and ripe fruit. The children were wild with delight, and ran about eager to see the picking and sorting of the fine fruit, for the oranges of Santa Ulalia were famous for size and quality. The trees grew rather low to the ground, and were covered with fruit which the pickers were gathering. Ladders were put up to the lower branches, and each picker carried a basket swung to his neck by a cord. He carefully picked the oranges one at a time, and dropped them in his basket, and so expert were many of them that it seemed as if they had scarcely mounted the ladder before the basket was full. Many young girls were employed as pickers, and they were particularly skillful, vying with the men in their swiftness. Very gay were their voices, and merry jest and song enlivened the work, until it seemed as if it were not work but play. Fernando and Juanita hopped about like little rabbits, eating the fruit which rolled to the ground, for often the golden globes fell from the trees as they were shaken by the picking. When the baskets were filled, the oranges were carried to the sheds and left overnight to harden the skins a little, when each orange was wrapped in soft tissue paper. For this are employed young boys and girls, and very expert they grow in the wrapping of the oranges, each one being properly wrapped with but a twist of the hand. The next thing is the packing, and the oranges are stored away in wooden boxes, and are ready to be shipped to market. The children ate so many oranges that they scarcely wanted any of the luncheon prepared for them at the hacienda. There was an omelet with green peppers, a delicious salad, some fowl and tiny round potato balls, all sprinkled over with chopped parsley, with a huge dish of oranges and grapes for dessert. The Signora insisted upon a little siesta after luncheon, but Fernando's eyes were so wide open that he could not close them as he swung to and fro in the great hammock between two orange trees in front of the house. He was delighted when his father sat down beside him in one of the big easy-chairs and said, You look to me like a boy who would like to hear a story." "'Indeed I would. Please tell me one,' said Fernando. "'Have you ever heard about the judges of Pedro the Cruel?' "'No, Papa,' said Fernando, all interest. A long time ago there ruled over Andalusia a king named Pedro, and he was so disliked by his subjects and did so many wicked things that he was called Pedro the Cruel. He lived in the city of Sevilla and, though he was cruel, and often heartless, still he had a strong sense of justice, which would not allow the common people to be badly treated. He found out one day that four of his judges had been cheating the people and taking bribes, and he determined to teach them a lesson. He went to his favorite gardens, those of the Alcazar, and sent for the judges to come to him there. It is a wonderful place, even to-day, and then it must have been very beautiful. Huge banana trees waved their rough green leaves above the tangled beauty of the flower beds, where jasmine and violets and roses grew in profusion. In the midst was a fountain, and Don Pedro knelt beside it, smiling wickedly as he placed upon the perfumed waters five oranges, cut in halves, and placed flat-side down. The reflection was so perfect that any one would be deceived and think they were whole oranges floating upon the water. "'How many oranges are there here?' asked the king, smiling genially. And the judges replied, "'Ten, may it please your gracious majesty.' "'Nay, but it does not please my gracious majesty to have four fools for judges,' he said. "'Liars! Can you not see that there are but five?' and he raised two of the halves, and held them together. "'No, O unjust judges,' he said sternly, "'that the king's servants must see more than the surface of things, if they are to conduct that portion of the realm which it is their business to attend to. And since you cannot tell a half from a whole, perchance that is a reason of the tales I hear, of your ill-dealings with the property of some of my subjects.' He ordered them to be beheaded. And their places filled with better men, and the poor people whom they had defrauded had their property restored to them. There are many other stories of King Pedro which are not pleasant to tell, and it is good to remember that he sometimes did kind things. Thank you, said Fernando. What is the Alcazar where the gardens were? It is a very remarkable place, and when you go to Sevilla you will see it. At first, hundreds of years ago, when the Romans were in Spain, it was the house of César. Afterward, the Moors turned it into a fortress, and it is a perfect example of Moorish work. Don Pedro rebuilt it and spent a great deal of money upon it, making it the most beautiful palace in all Spain. All manner of things happened there, among them the murder of Don Pedro's half-brother, Don Fadrique, who he was afraid would lay claim to the throne. But here come your mother and Juanita, and I think your rest time is about over. Go and play, and tell Manuel we return at four o'clock, so you must be on time. So Fernando spent a delightful afternoon in the orange grove, and drove home through the cool twilight, passing the paseo, just as the band was playing the Marcha Real, the national song, which he hummed until he went to bed. End of Chapter 3 Recording by Jill Ingle